There's no shortcuts. You need to build it into your culture. The change is going to be difficult, but it's one that we have to make. Do I think we should get to 50% women in HPC or something other than white men? Yes. And if you get alignment with that diversity, then that's a durable competitive advantage. If you want to get a better list of candidates, you just call them engineers and project managers and developers. From Orion X in association with Inside HPC, this is the At HPC podcast. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Black as they discuss supercomputing technologies and the applications, markets, and policies that shape them. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Shaheen, great to be with you again this week. Great to catch up again. You've been in Austin, I hear, this past week. Yes, I was, and a great conference, really good discussion, hitting a lot of, obviously, primarily technology issues, but we also got into industry issues, and there was a tremendous presentation by our special guest today, Melissa Fratkin, who is co-chair of the Texas Women in HPC organization. She's also industry programs director at TAC, the Texas Advanced Computing Center at the University of Texas in Austin. So uh, Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be with you. So presented, this was at Dell's annual HPC community meeting. I thought your comments were great on several fronts. One is that the topic itself is so important, but also your explanation of the problem. And then really importantly, what I have not seen very much of is, I thought was particularly valuable, was your guidance on how to address the problem, some practical advice on where and how to recruit women and people of color into HPC organizations. So Melissa, how would you like to begin? So I'll start with Texas Women in HPC, and thank you for your kind comments on my presentation. I, along with Carolyn Devaney of Data Vortex, we founded Texas Women in HPC a couple of years ago to provide a place for women who are working in high performance computing, advanced computing, et cetera, in Austin or in Texas, across Texas, to come together for networking and support and even mentorship and sharing of job listings and things like that. And we actually are not only focusing on women, which obviously are missing in the high performance computing community, but also on other communities that are underrepresented. So our Latino engineers and black engineers and other underrepresented groups and even disabled people who are also very underrepresented in the workforce. We know that there are so many women in so many industries in Texas who are using advanced computing. And really, it's almost like just giving people someone to talk to, a shoulder to cry on, someone who understands what they're going through and where we could be going together. Maybe you could give us some basic statistics on percentages of women in the HPC industry. Sure. The last time that a survey was done, which is a couple of years ago now, women made up 17% of the HPC community. Supercomputing is our big conference. It's where you will see the largest number of people. And SC19, which was our last big in-person conference, we only had 16% female attendance. Mm-hmm. And it's self-reported and not everybody, you know, some people choose not to report, but it's, that's not a big number. And I can tell you that I think it's probably increased since then, but I'm not sure what COVID has done and what the pandemic and all this working from home has done to women, particularly in the HPC workforce. And I really think we need to commission a study again in the next couple of years. But the supercomputing committee has made a diversity committee one of their top level committees, and there's always a diversity person. SIG HPC 
which is one of the sponsors of SC, has started this CARES committee to respond to people who experience harassment and provide them with support and someone to talk to uh, and help them figure out what the next steps are for reporting. Because unfortunately, it does happen. And it does happen at the SC conference uh, and has happened in the past. I hope someday that this CARES committee is no longer needed, but it still happens. And then last year, we had the first paper submission that was a research paper on female participation in HBC conferences. And the author found that women represent only 10% of all HBC authors. So it's not just that we're not coming to the conferences, we're not being represented. We're also not being represented in paper publications, which is something that could be fixed. Melissa, so this is a good way of kind of the size of the problem, because the counter argument is that, well, just not that many computer scientists, that, you know, women don't study this, and that when you look at graduates from college, that's the demographics are that and, and such. So it's sort of a vicious cycle, right? Yeah, yeah right, right. Because yeah. not a lot of women go into computer science because they don't see other women in computer science, or they go into computer science, but there are no women available to be mentors. And the ambiance that they are thrust into, for lack of a better term, is not welcoming of women in science. NSF just issued a report this week about the racism inherent in their grant giving. Oh, interesting. Good for them. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's everywhere. And partly it's because we all have these unconscious biases, right? Everyone has them and you can learn to fight them, but everyone has them. And it's just sort of the way things have always been. So the change is going to be difficult, but it's one that we have to make. Do I think we should get to 50% women in, in HPC or 50%, certainly 50% something other than white men? Yes, I think we should. I think our industry would be very different if we did. But is that possible is my question. Are there that many women in HPC and we're just not able to attract them? I think we need to work harder to get them into STEM fields earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. You know, yeah. it's, yeah, that's really, it. you know, TAC has a summer program called Code at TAC, where we have multiple sessions every summer. Um, and this was the first year we got to do it in person again, where we bring in 30 high school kids. Nice. Who, from underrepresented communities who were never probably even thinking, some of them never even thought about going to college. Certainly they never thought about computer science. We bring them in, we put them in the dorms at UT. They get to come to a college campus and stay in the dorms and look around and think about whether this is something they want to do. And then we teach them how to program in Python. They're doing autonomous cars or cybersecurity programs. And we've had kids who come out of this program and not only go on to college, but go on to college and major in computer science. Mm, that's excellent. It's just a question of getting to the kids and sort of lighting up their interest in this. And studies have been done that especially for young women, that finding something where they can help their community so that if, they're, if their grandmother dies of cancer, they're going to want to go into cancer research, that kind of thing. Or if there's a lot of gun violence in your community, you're going to want to go and do a research project. How do, we, how do we get rid of guns in our community? Or how do we treat people better? Or you know, mental health issues or any of those things but finding something that's in their community that they can improve, that they can care about, is like the best hook in the world to get them involved. Right. So my motivation for asking was really to dispel a myth that I expect to be there, which says we may be as good as we can get. And I think there's a lot more progress that can be made. And it's not like we've run out of you know 
underrepresented folks who could be part of this. No, family. not by a long shot. Exactly, exactly. So it's not like, let's not worry shot. about that because we are like not even close to that. And if you think about the number of data analytics jobs that are available now and that are going to be available in the future, we absolutely 100% need more than just the 50% of the population that we're hiring at this point. Yeah, and to Shane's question, there are more women who go to college and graduate from college than men. Absolutely. It's more. It's greater than 50% women now. Yes. Right. Exactly. So what if we move toward mindsets, strategies, and how-tos on addressing this issue? You know, I was looking through your slides and I, I like a basic one. You said it's really a commitment that has to come from the top. It has to be a serious thing. It's not. There's no shortcuts. It's like you need to build it into your culture and make it part of how you go about recruiting and working with employees. Absolutely. And as, as I said in my talk, the first step is always admitting there's a problem, right? That's mm. that's mm. AA. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing you do, you have to admit there's a problem. My name you know? is HBC and, and we don't have enough. Right. <laughs> that's exactly I'm addicted it. to white exactly. men or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I gave a, a presentation about diversity in recruiting and retention and hiring. And one of the guys, one of the white guys in, in the audience raised his hand and said, if I have to hire a diverse candidate, won't they be less qualified? And I almost fell over. And I just thought, that's why we have this problem. You want to know why it's so hard, Shaheen? That's yeah, I do want to know why it's so hard. So, but that's good? why. Yeah. That mindset is why. Hmm. Because they have come up in this industry, and that was somebody from, from oil and gas previously. They've hmm. come up in this industry. And they've only been surrounded by people who look like them. And so that's who can do this job. And it never occurs to them that anybody else could do the job. You just have to give them the opportunity. Right, right. You know, I have to say that I'm really pleased that this, this person asked that the way he asked. Yes, I was very sort of proud of him for raising his hand and asking the question. He said, I, you know, I don't want to sound stupid, but won't they be less qualified? The answer is no, they won't. You're just clearly looking in the wrong places. Yeah, exactly. One of my observations is that, especially men, because they are part of the problem here, are afraid of making themselves vulnerable with comments like this. So instead of saying what they think, they tippy-toe around it, and it never gets addressed directly. So in this case, at least he said it. So they don't learn anything. They don't learn it, yeah, because yeah. they don't feel they can take that risk. Right. And that's one of the other points that we'll make is, as you said, Doug, it's a commitment from the top, but everyone has to, it has to be baked into your culture. Everyone has to want to be involved in this because people who are going to be applying for these jobs, they want to see somebody at the company who is succeeding, who looks like them. Mm. And a lot of companies will hire one person of some minority persuasion and send that person to every job interview and every job fair, and they become sort of the token which is a terrible thing to do to someone. Yeah. And that person also has to do their real job and ends up burning out and leaving. And that's the last thing you want. Well, the reality is that there's a big burden on the first few who are breaking yes. through any kind of barrier. Yes. They have to carry a lot more than just do the job well. Yes, exactly. Now, Melissa, why is it that we need support from the top? Why is it that the layers below the top aren't just doing what we all intellectually agree needs to be done. Where's the problem? It has to come 
from both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Because you now, and especially with the next generation coming up, the Gen Z and the millennials, they will start asking for things and they will want things to be a certain way. And when you get the people who've always been there saying, no, that's not how we do things, you need someone above them to come down Mm -hmm. and say, we're going to try it this way now. Let's listen to what these young people have to say and see if we can change things and see if that makes things better. Really has to come from both sides because the younger people especially are going to want to change things. And if the people at the top are going, nope, that's not what we do here, then nothing is ever going to change. Well, I thought a really important point you made, again, pulling from your slides, is changing what the characteristics, almost the personal characteristics of people in the hiring process. And the phrase you used is move away from a culture fit and toward a culture add. So what, what do you mean by that? So, you know, in a lot of places, and and we used to do this with TAC as well, when you do interviews and you have people gather together afterwards to say what they thought of the person, you say, oh, I'm not sure they fit with our culture. And Mm -hmm. you don't hire that. But what you're really looking for and the way to increase diversity, and in fact, in many cases, increase your bottom line, is to move to culture add. Provide a work environment where everyone is treated fairly and you get people who will add to your culture, who will bring different ideas and different thoughts because they have different backgrounds. Right on. And they'll have different perspectives and and interesting contributions. And they may not all be 100% perfect, but you're you're getting away from that cookie cutter of we all look the same, we all think the same, we all went to the same schools. Let's try something different. I think in the parlance of HPC and AI, Diversity brings you new algorithms that you are now eligible you, you, to We use. would hope, yes. Yes, and don't get me started on the lack of diversity in AI because, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you have a diverse workforce, you get more ideas. You get more ways exactly. of solving problems. You get exactly. more, quote, algorithms that the organization can use. Yes. And if you get alignment with that diversity, then that's a durable competitive advantage. Exactly. But I think the problem is that people think that a cultural fit is necessary to maintain that alignment. So they optimize for alignment right? and they lose out on the diversity. That I think is a challenge for some organizations. And part of that is that, that diversity is uncomfortable, right? There's an article from Harvard Business Review that you know diverse teams feel less comfortable And that's why they perform better. It's harder, no pain, no gain. You know, we say that in the gym, but it's true in business, right? You have to feel included in the team and be able to debate without anyone getting fired. But creativity comes from that unfamiliarity when when you're not quite sure, oh, that's an interesting idea. What if we did it this way? But if you're not even willing to talk to people who might have a different point of view, you'll never get that sort of interesting, innovative bump. Great stuff. Now, what if we moved into a bit of a how-to discussion? I know you have a list of points about how to attract diverse talent, and maybe we could run through some of those points. For example, you say ensure inclusive wording and job descriptions. What, what kind of wording would that mean? So there's a company that will review your job descriptions and point out the words that you might want to change out because women won't apply generally. And this is just something they've studied for jobs that have words like hacker and rock star and guru and ninja. If you want to get a better 
list of candidates, you just call them engineers and project managers and developers. The other challenge we have is that, and studies have shown this as well, that when women look at a job description, if they can't tick off every one of the boxes in the requirements, they won't apply. Whereas men will get to four or five out of 10 and go, yeah, I can apply for that. I can do that job. I have personal experience with that with folks in my (laughs) team. I I tell you, my personal experience in more than one occasion, I have had to force promotions on women because they don't want to take it. They don't think they can do it. They don't think they're ready. And I'm saying, no, you're actually better than everybody else, you know? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the the standards that women measure themselves by. Yes. And some of that is also, I didn't want to waste the hiring manager's time. Right. Right. And that's terrible. Right. I had someone of a good friend of mine. I was looking at a job and I was thinking of applying for it. And I sent it to him and he said, hell yeah, you could do that. Go. And I did exactly the same thing. I said, but I don't have all of the kind of, I have Mm. never done that. Mm. He's like, it doesn't matter. You can do it. Go, go, go apply for it. I didn't get it. But to have, you have to have someone in your corner to say to you, go try for that. Go put your name up there for that. Because Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, women have been taught not to be out there being our own champions. Yeah. And we have to learn to do that as well. Okay. Another technique you mentioned was no name resume screening. Tell us about that a little bit. So uh, again, I'm just, I keep citing studies that have been done. A hiring company put out resumes and half of them had, and they had exactly the same resume, but some of them had black sounding names and some of them had white sounding names. Hmm. So you had, you know, but exactly the same job, you know, history and education and everything. And the people with the white sounding names got callbacks, I think three times as much, three times more than the others. And it's not about what your name is. It should entirely be about what can you do for me in this job? Do you have the qualifications? Do you have the experience? If it's exactly the same resume, there's another example of unconscious bias, Hmm. right? You're just going to you know, pick what you know. But that's an easy one to fix, you would think. If you are not the hiring manager, but you're having someone, you have HR sending you resumes, tell HR to take the names off of the resumes before they send them to you. And then you won't be impacted by that at all. And the other challenge, of course, is, is your HR team diverse? Because you need, right? The HR team themselves needs to be looking in different places and not always having those biases against or, or in favor of certain people. So. And what, what do you mean by emphasis on value-based hiring? What does that mean? Again, that's looking at the resume and seeing what this person can do and not on where they went to school or who they know. Oh, can they okay. do the job? Okay. Give it. them a sample work test and see if they can do the job. Okay. When you yeah. meet with them, do they have the kind of... Because at TAC, we are always looking for people, even if they don't necessarily have all the skills listed in the requirements... Are they quick learners? Do they want to do this interesting job that changes every day um, and work? Can they work effectively with users and figure out problems and think in a computational way to get to where we're going? And sometimes you have people who just used to work in education or they used to work in some other field that had nothing to do with HPC or they got their degree in something where they were using a lot of our life sciences team got their degrees in in bioinformatics or, or whatever in life sciences, and they like the computer part better. And so mm-hmm. we hire them and they become great experts in HPC, but they are also domain scientists who can talk to the researchers. And 
it's about finding someone who fits what you need or who can learn and grow into the job that you need. Right. So these points you're making, in a lot of ways, getting to a more objective assessment of people and getting away from the things that can throw people off course, according exactly. to their biases and so forth. Yeah. Because you talk exactly. about standardized interviews and mm -hmm. giving a sample work test. So mm -hmm. again, a, a sample work test that would reveal a basic or intrinsic ability and, right. and capabilities. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I love this part, where to find talent. And if I could, could we direct people to you, Melissa, or where could people get this list? I mean, we don't want to read a long list of um, websites, but I think this is invaluable. These websites of organizations that really could be a great assistance to people who are on a, want to implement a, a diversity strategy. Yeah, I'm happy to, to share this list. Um, you guys can post it on your website if you want. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's looking for the engineers and women in HPC and, you know, Latinos and black engineers looking at places where they have job boards in these communities. And all of these organizations have, you know, an annual conference with a job fair, send someone to the job fair, going again, going back to the same old job offerings to find staff, you won't get anybody different. If you keep going back to your Ivy league school, or to just the one school in the neighboring town, or you know, to just the places your CEOs went, you, you won't get anything different. It's banging your head against a wall at that point. Go somewhere new. Open. I look under another rock. Open a new door. You know, <laughs> right. there are people yeah. everywhere. I see some of the. This list includes the Society of Women Engineers, the National mm -hmm. Society of Black Engineers, National Girls Collaborative Project, and Girls Who Code. So mm -hmm. I wonder how many people really know about these organizations that have job boards. And it's not just the job boards, because for some of these, with the Girls Collaborative Project and Girls Who Code, I would love to see some of these companies that have committed to diversity start supporting and sponsoring programs with the Girls Collaborative Project, with Girls Who Code. You know, go and help these girls learn more about what they can do. Provide mm -hmm. funding for them to go on field trips or get computers or learn coding or whatever, which also then sort of gives them a pleasant thought about your company as they're moving forward. Oh, that company sponsored our project. We should go and see what they do. Yeah. And for a lot of places, also co new collaborations with the historically black colleges and universities in your area, the minority serving institutions, tribal colleges, you know, there's more talent out there then we know what to do with. We just need to go and get them. Well, I will commit right now to publishing this entire list of these organizations and their website addresses. And if you, you have any others that you can send to me, I'll, I'll get that into my article. Great. The threat here is you can't do it without doing it. So like, do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, hire, <laughs> go look. You know, you can't just pay lip service to it. But that's actually really the, the next question is that you see a lot of these departments or offices or kind of initiatives, and some of them just end up being lip service without getting right. progress done. Well, how do you see that? And how do we make sure that these activities are genuine and there is really, you know, people have their heart in the right place and they really are trying to make it happen? So I think in addition to that commitment from the top, you have to have agreement from the people at the top that if they're going to form a DEI organization, a committee, if they're going to assign someone to be the lead person for diversity and inclusion at their company, 
then when that person comes back and suggests, I think we need to do X, Y, and Z, because that will help the underrepresented people at the company feel better. You could have diversity programs for potluck dinners and bring everybody together and bring the food from your from your company. I think Oak Ridge National Lab does that. And they have so many hundreds of people from different parts of the world that it's, a, it's an amazing, it's the most nice. amazing food court night you've ever seen. But I mean, right. you know, give people the chance to express their individuality and show who they are. But if the people who are running these DEI programs make suggestions to the top level of the company and those suggestions are not taken, if nothing gets done, then it's a complete waste. And then it really is lip service. And so you have to not just form a committee, but also listen to them and take right, their advice. Exactly. Now, you mentioned diversity, inclusion, equity. Yes. Why is it yeah. formulated that way? What do we mean when we say those three words? Diversity is let's invite everybody to the party, right? Inclusion mm -hmm. is you've been invited to the party and somebody asks you to dance. Belonging is when you can just get out in the middle of the dance floor and dance like nobody's watching, right? How do we host more inclusive parties? How do we make sure that everyone feels like they've been invited, they're there for a reason, we want them to be there, and we appreciate them for who they are, right? That's what you need all of those things. Right. I love that equity part. That's really the part when it is finally our party. Right. It's not that you got invited, it's that we're all doing this. Equity is you're at the party and they're playing music that everybody likes or they're playing different music. It's not always the same band. It's, it's, or it's mm -hmm. the band is playing covers of lots of different things. And they're hosting a party in a place that everybody can access. Right. Because right? then you're also talking about people with disabilities, differently abled people being able to get in the room, right? If you're going to host yeah. a party and you're inviting everybody, you want to make sure they can all get there. No, I like this analogy a lot. Yeah. Now I'm going to bring up a more complicated topic. There is lots of politics. There's lots of impact on social regulations and such. And it has led to how different states and different geographies are reacting to things. It is the times we live in. That's got to be an issue in this whole scene, isn't it? How would you speak to that? It absolutely is an issue. There is a strong link between reproductive rights and workforce participation. When a woman gets to choose whatever she chooses, whether she chooses to have a child or not, when the woman gets to choose, she gets to plan her life better. That's why it's called family planning. Hmm. She completes college more often. They join the labor force in greater numbers. They raise their children in better financial circumstances, right? The head of the Federal Reserve went before Congress and said that if we do not do something about these rights, these reproductive rights that have now been taken away from women and are being completely abolished in lots of states, these restrictions could cost states $105 billion a year because women, workers in particular, but women obviously in this scenario, need to be able to migrate. They need to be able to take a job somewhere else if it's a better job. And if women are going to look at the map of the United States and go, well, I'm not going to that state, that state, that state, or that state, those economies are going to suffer. And if we lift these restrictions and we allow women to control their own destinies, right, you add another half a million women to the workforce, which is, again, something we are going to desperately need. Absolutely. Absolutely. In general, when you let people do what they want to do, they kind of like it better, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's the nicest way of putting it. Yes, absolutely. 
Very well. Okay. Well, Melissa, it's been a great pleasure to have you. And uh, we'd love to have you back when you have new news to share with us. I would be happy to come back. Awesome. And Doug, I would love for you to share the, uh, the slide that says read, research, and listen. I think one of the things that the pandemic afforded to me that I was actually grateful for was the opportunity to learn, to educate myself on, especially after what happened with George Floyd. I mean, the murder of George Floyd changed everything. Mm. And to be able to listen to webinars and read articles and learn about different people's experiences and to do the same with all of these news articles that are coming out about women in leadership, gender diversity in the workplace, how to diversify your company. And there's a wonderful author named Ruchika Tulshan who just wrote a book called Inclusion on Purpose. And it's almost like a how-to guide of how to do this, how to make mm-hmm. sure that your company is inclusive and diverse and successful. And so um, if you'll share that as well, that would be great. we Will do, absolutely. Thanks so much and great to be with you, Shaheen. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Doug. Until next time. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the At HPC podcast. Every episode is featured on InsideHPC.com and posted on OrionX.net. Use the comment section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics of discussion. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The At HPC podcast is a production of OrionX in association with Inside HPC. Thank you for listening.